We all have our journeys, some long, some short, some harrowing and some easy. What kinds of songs does God think we need for our journeys? For hope, for trouble, or for joy? Join us as we learn to sing God's songs from the Psalms. What is it that shapes you when facing trouble? It's hard not to talk about trouble without being flippant and kind of dismissive. The reality is that all of us at different times and in different ways face trouble and we carry burdens that we feel like we can't bear and it, it, it can be soul crushing. But my question is, what is it that shapes us in those moments? When we are facing trouble and we want to get out of it, what are those things that dominate our, the way that we relate to them and then give us a strategy for trying to fix it? Like, what is that? Those, what are those things that shape us? It could be dreams. Hey, this is where I want to go. It could be a goal that we have. This is, this is what I want. It could be a story of something that's happened that we that just plays on a track in our head and we, we can't get it out. It could be a method that's shaping us going, well, if I just follow this method, I've read this book, I've met this counselor, I've heard this person say, if you do this, then this is how to get out of it. What are the kinds of things that shape us in trouble? I think in, on, in some sense, that's one of the invitations from Jesus in his word is, is to really go, what is the thing that's going to be shaping me? And the reason we, we see that in his word is because today we're going to be looking at Psalm chapter 129 in the songs of ascent to see what is it that's shaping us in trouble? How do we think about it? How do we allow God to form our hearts as we walk the journey that he has before us? What is it that God wants to use to shape us in trouble? So go ahead and turn with me to Psalm 129. Psalm 129, a song of ascents. They have greatly oppressed me from my youth, let Israel say. They have greatly oppressed me from my youth, but they have not gained the victory over me. Plowmen have plowed my back and made their furrows long, but the Lord is righteous. He has cut me free from the cords of the wicked. Verse 5, may all who hate Zion be turned back in shame. May they be like grass on the roof, which withers before it can grow. A reaper cannot fill his hands with it, nor one who gathers fill his arms. May those who pass by not say to them, the, Lord, the blessing of the Lord be on you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. Let's pray. God, as we open your word, so many of us carry burdens even burdens that we carry today, we ask that you lighten that burden and that you use your word to shape us in the middle of this. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 129, here in the middle of these songs of ascent, these songs that the people of Israel would sing on their journey through the mountains to worship God in Jerusalem. And we've seen psalms, other songs of trouble, 
We've seen songs, lots of songs about joy and where we find joy and where we seek peace. And this one just starts with, they have greatly oppressed me from my youth. This is a psalm for those that are in trouble. This, this is a psalm to shape us for those moments. And verses one to four really is, I find great hope in because it like acknowledges this is what's really happening. They have greatly oppressed me from my youth. From when I was a kid, it has been so hard. I love the imagery. Plowmen have plowed my back and made their furrows long. He just kind of piles up. They've made furrow upon furrow. They've just taken their plow and run it across me over and over and over. And so here I am in trouble. This, this section really could be placed at any moment in Israel's history. They have greatly oppressed me from my youth. Let Israel say they have greatly oppressed me from my youth, but they have not gained the victory over me. This could be calling to mind God's deliverance of his people out of Egypt. It could be calling to mind uh, God delivering his people in the book of Judges. It could be calling to mind God delivering his people through the hands of Saul and then David. It, it could, this could be many moments in Israel's history. We don't know specifically what he's calling to mind here. Just that, verse 4 tells us, the Lord is righteous. He has cut me free from the cords of the wicked. Verses 1 to 4 kind of sets up. We are going to acknowledge what's happened. We are, and But, no, we're not just going to acknowledge what's happened. We are going to be formed by the story of God delivering his people. Then he turns to verses 5 to 8 and begins to say, okay, so what difference does that make? What are the facts on the ground? God has delivered us in the past. How does that get translated into the way we live in the present and the future? And so it's this commitment. May all who hate God's people, Zion, may God, all who hate Israel be turned back in shame. It's this condemnation on the people that are opposed to God and his, his people. You may wonder, like I would, like, how can some of these songs that talk about curses on the wicked not be just like, God, punish those that I don't like, punish my enemies? How does that like go with the Beatitudes, the Beatitudes where Jesus said, blessed are the merciful. But in the Psalms, like some verses five to eight, it's like, God, I'm going to leave this up to you. God, I want justice on the wicked and we can't hope for good things, for righteousness and peace to flourish if you don't bring justice on the wicked. But that's not my job. That's your job. Verses five to eight trans translates God's salvation into the present. By saying, God, we are going to commit future salvation into your hands. What I want to show you today is that Psalm 129 calls us to be to shape our lives, to form it, be directed by God's deliverance. Shape our lives by God's deliverance. I want to show you three ways that we see in this psalm that we shape our lives by God's deliverance. The first way is that we shape our lives by the twin realities we see in this psalm. You see, this psalm holds up two truths at the same time. Like, things have been really hard. This has been, I have been greatly oppressed. Things have been really bad. They, plowmen have plowed my back and made their furrows long. My back is a crisscross mark of people hurting me. That's one of the realities that this psalm holds up. That trouble is real, and it is painful, and it is oppressive, and it is soul-crushing. But not just that's not the only truth in this passage, or we'd be really, really despairing. 
The, the second reality is that God is a deliverer and he has delivered in the past. And so the twin realities that we're supposed to shape our lives by are these truths that the problems of life are real and they're painful. And God does not call us in Christianity to ignore them, to cover them up, to shove them to the side and act like they don't exist. Let's go to church. Let's gather with his people and put on a happy face and ignore the medical diagnosis that we're afraid of or that we're actually living with. God doesn't call his people to ignore the, the physical and the emotional, the mental pain that we deal with from the troubles of life. Just, just put those memories aside. I want you to forget them. I want you to ignore them. And I want you to move on. That's not the reality that God has called us to. It's to acknowledge the trouble of life is real. The pain that we're living with is real. But that's not the only reality that shapes our lives. Here in verse 120 or chapter 129, we find that the second reality is that God is a deliverer. Verse 4 says, but the Lord is righteous. He has cut me free from the cords of the wicked. This is the reality of God's people, is that God is a deliverer. He's done it from the beginning of the story of the Bible. He's still doing that in our lives today. And so we're supposed to shape our lives by these two realities. It's so easy in the church to ignore one or the other. In the church especially, we can ignore the reality of the pain of life because it's uncomfortable and we often don't have answers and we want to have answers. And so we don't know how to acknowledge the pain that those around us are dealing with and to say, I don't have an answer for the thing that you're dealing with, but I know that this is painful. The, I would say that the world around us ignores the reality that we are not left on our own in pain to just say, grin and bear it, get over it, move on. That's just life. The call in, in, in Scripture is to say, the pain of the world is real, but God is a deliverer. That is who he has revealed himself as. And so we must be shaped by that, that hope and that expectation and that reality. And we must begin to look at our lives, look at the problems of our life through those two realities going together. I'm reminded of Psalm 27 just filled with this same reality. That, but it comes to a line that says, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will take me in. Not saying, hey, everything's okay. God's going to take me in. Even if my father and mother forsake me, push me away, even if those closest to me, even if the worst things I could imagine happening happen, God's still going to take me in. So like our lives are supposed to be shaped by these twin realities. So the application of this for you and for me is to begin to go, how do, I, how do I begin to shape my own life by these twin realities? Problems and pain are real and they, they, are, they can be soul crushing, but God is a deliverer. How can I, where, which one of these do I so easily ignore? Do I just, like Pollyanna, act like everything's okay? And no, there's, not, there's, nothing, there's nothing wrong with the world. Hey, if we just put on a happy face, it's going to be okay. Or do I, do I ignore, the, do I ignore like the hope of the gospel that God is a deliverer? And I go through life like Eeyore, just so oh, things are never going to get better. This is just life. No, pain is real, but God is a deliverer. And we must be shaped by these two twin realities. How do we counsel and encourage one another? might be a child, it could be a spouse, it could be a friend, it could be somebody in our church. When we are actually counseling and encouraging somebody else who is going through great pain, we must begin to shape our counsel by these twin realities. 
We must begin to, to say, yes, the pain is real. I, I cannot imagine what it is that you are going through. It feels like somebody is taking a plow and running it over your back over and over and over. And that is real. And I'm sorry. And, and God is a deliverer. We must, we must begin to include both of those in the way that we counsel and encourage one another. So this, this passage isn't just, oh, I'm supposed to shape my life by these twin realities, but God wants to use me to shape other people's realities with these two, two truths, with these two realities. Pain is real, but God is a deliverer, and he has revealed himself and will continue to reveal himself that way. The second way that we shape our lives by God's deliverance from this passage is I think that we shape our lives by speaking to ourselves. Verse 1 says, They have greatly oppressed me from my youth, let Israel say. I think that that let Israel say is a really important phrase. Like that's the, the purpose of God putting this in a song is so that we would begin to sing it and to speak it and to memorize it. Because what so easily happens is we begin to listen to ourselves. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, that we begin to listen to ourselves instead of speaking to ourselves. If we're going to be shaped by God's deliverance, then we must begin to, to speak to ourselves like this psalm says, let Israel say, we must begin to say, you know what? I'm not just going to listen to the thoughts that come into my head. I'm not just going to listen to the words that other people have to say into me. I am actually going to speak the truth of God, the, the truth of his deliverance over my heart and my mind day after day. I'm actually reminded of um, Jesus in the wilderness in Luke chapter 3. And how when he's in the, the wilderness, Satan comes to him with like speaking scripture, speaking temptations, saying, you should do this. And Jesus in that moment speaks God's truth. And I think not just to Satan saying, no, you're wrong, but also to the temptation that's coming, that's coming in. And he, he, he hears that illustrating this reality that we shouldn't be just listening to ourselves, listening to our hearts, listening to our situations, listening to those around us, but beginning to say, what does God have to say to me about this? And I want to speak that to my own heart. Honestly, last night I was getting in the van. I was headed back to our house and clear as day, the thought came into my head. You are such a bad pastor. And I stopped and I went and I, I could think of different reasons that I was like, oh, I didn't do this well. I didn't do this right. And what about this? And what about this? But in that moment, I realized, you know what? I don't ever think God talks that way. The Bible says that for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. And I was like, I'm not sure that's the voice I need to be listening to. That voice in my own heart that says, look at all the ways that you don't add up as a husband as a father, as a this or as a that. Here are all the ways that you just don't do good enough. This psalm calls us to begin to shape our lives by speaking to ourselves what we know is true from God's word, not just listening to the voices of our own hearts, the voices of temptation that Satan sends to us. We must begin to speak to ourselves. And so the question I have for you is like, like, what messages are you speaking to yourself? 
What messages are you speaking to yourself and saying, this is what's true. Believe what's true. Listen to this voice. So often it's, it's easy to be like, I want to follow Jesus and I want to walk with Jesus. But if we don't end up knowing any of his words and speak those to ourselves, then how in the world are we going to be shaped by God's deliverance? We might just be waiting for a, for a, another sermon to hear in, in a week or two when I uh, go to church again. I might, I might hear, see an encouraging meme on, on social media, but the reality of this psalm says that if life is painful and God is a deliverer, we must begin to sh- to speak to ourselves, filling our minds with God's word, being able to say, you know what? Whether it's my own heart or Satan's temptation, saying you're not good, you're not good enough. Look at all the ways that you failed. You're not a good enough mom. You're not a good enough kid. You're not a good enough worker. You're not good enough at whatever. We must begin to fill our hearts and our mouths with God's word so we can speak to ourselves the truth so that we're shaped by God's deliverance and not the messages that we hear. The third way that we shape our lives by God's deliverance is we shape our lives by putting the present and the future in God's hands. You see, that's what really is happening in verse 5 to 8. Verses 1 to 4 sets up, this is what's happened. I've been in pain. God has been a deliverer. I want to form my life by that. But verses five to eight is like this. It's this commitment and this call. How do I use that in my life? May all who hate Zion be turned back in shame. May they be like grass on the roof, which withers before it can grow. A reaper cannot fill his hands with it, nor one who gathers fill his arms. May those who pass by not say to them, the blessing of the Lord be on you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. This, J.A. Motyer points out, this could be a prophecy, meaning it's really oriented to the future. Or it could be a prayer saying, this is how we take God's deliverance and bring it into the present. It could be a prophecy orienting our lives to the future. It could be a prayer so that it's an orienting my life in the present. But in either case, whether prophecy or prayer, which I think it's actually both, it is a call to us to say, I'm going to take the future and I'm going to take the present and I'm going to put it in God's hands. The enemies that are around me who hate me and who hate my people and who want to crush me, I'm going to put them in God's hands in the present and in the future. I don't know what the next minute, the next hour, the next day, the next month, the next year, the next 10 years is going to hold. And so I am going to put each one of those things in God's hands with this prayer. I'm, I want to form my life by God's, by God's deliverance. And so I am just going to, I am going to put myself in his hands. That's how this psalm becomes faithful and not just vengeance. Oh, God, crush all the people that I hate. Instead, it becomes faithful to say, God, we want righteousness and peace. And those who will not have your righteousness and peace. God, we know that you must put them away. You must separate them from yourself and from your people for us to know righteousness and peace. But we're going to give that to you. That's your business, not ours. So we must begin to shape our lives by putting the present and the future in his hands. Beginning to say, am I going to say, God, I trust that your hands are faithful, that your judgment is right, that your mercy is worth it. God, I am going to trust in your character, not in my own. So often prayer feels like a, a, quite honestly, a fruitless, pointless, and passive activity. But this kind of prayer isn't. This kind of prayer is, God, I'm committing my present and my future into your faithful hands because you know better than I know. And so 
And th- that act of putting our present and future in God's hands begins to form us by God's deliverance. We become different kind of people going through trouble when we're speaking to ourselves and speaking to God. God, we put these things over to you. We become different kind of people. So the passage, this passage calls us to shape our lives by God's deliverance. Sing this song, begin to sing this song so that we aren't just shaped by our own strength and our own or our own weakness. So that we're not just shaped by our own dreams, by our own methods, by our our own abilities. Instead, when we are in trouble, we are shaped by a commitment to a faithful God who has shown himself faithful to us in the past. And so we can venture forth in trouble knowing that that same God is out there in our future. If you're like me, this passage is a passage of judgment. Because we, I don't live that way. I don't suffer well and say, oh, it's going to be okay. It's not that big of a deal. God's got this. I sing the first part of this song. They've plowed over my back over and over. God, where are you? God, if you exist, can you stop this pain? That is the kind of song that I normally sing. And maybe you find yourself in that same place. And so this passage that says, shape yourself by God's deliverance is just a weight of guilt that says, you don't do this. You don't, you don't trust in God in this way. And so Satan comes in and says, look, you can't even do that right. What kind of Christian are you? What kind of person are you? Where is the good news for you and for me from a passage like this? The good news for you and for me is that Jesus, who never sinned, never turning away from his father, was called a man of sorrows. And so he lived out the twin realities for you and for me because he didn't deserve it in himself. He lived out the, the, the sorrow that you and I should feel, the grief that you and I should feel and oppress. Jesus knows what we've gone through. And then he knows the deliverance of God who raised him from the dead. And so it's Jesus' faithful response to his father that is your record and my record. And so we're called to be shaped by these twin realities. We can be shaped by these twin realities knowing that it's not a burden of guilt for us, that we have the perfect record in that. Well, you and I, this becomes good news for you and for me when we know that Jesus was constantly speaking God's word as Satan tempted him in the wilderness. That's your record and my record. This this becomes good news for us because Jesus, who never sinned, who lived the life that you should live and that I should live, hung on a cross, staring at death, In the next few hours, and he turned to the thief on the cross next to him and said, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus is the one who put his present and his future in God's hands, knowing that God is going to keep his promises and raise him from the dead and bring him to the kingdom. And so you and I have that kind of record. And this becomes good news for us. Our lives are shaped by Jesus living the way we should live, dying the death that we should die. And so that this becomes good news for us. It becomes a comfort and an invitation to us, not just a burden over us.
Maybe you're out there and you're going, how can this be mine? Joe, you talk about Jesus living the life we should live, dying the death that we should die, and being raised to new life. How can I know that's for me? How can I get in on this? The Bible says that God made the world and he made it good. And he made Adam and Eve. And he put him in a garden and he said, it is very good. He gave Adam and Eve one rule. He gave them a call to live as little kings under him. God would be the great king over the universe. And Adam and Eve would be under him and in relationship with him. And he gave them one rule. And Adam and Eve said, no, we will not follow that rule. And we will not follow you as king. So Adam and Eve and all of their children and grandchildren after them have turned away from God saying we're going to live our own way and do our own thing. You see, that's the nature of sin. That is what separates us from God forever. The book of Romans says the wages of sin is death. Those of us that have sinned, which is all of us, have only a physical death and a spiritual death in hell to look forward to. But the second part of that verse, which is good news for all of us, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God, the free gift of God, The free gift of God is Jesus who has lived the life that we should live and died the death that we should die so that all who trust in Jesus, who all all who turn away from sin and say, God, I've lived my own way and it has been wrong and I will agree with you about it and I will turn away from it and I will accept Jesus and his righteousness. I I will follow him as my king. I will walk with him in relationship the way that you intended Adam and Eve to do. The Bible says that they have, the, those who do that, turning away from sin and trusting in Jesus alone to save them, are brought in as members of God's family, filled with his spirit so that we have the power to walk in obedience to him, so that we can be shaped by God's deliverance, knowing that the, the end of Jesus, resurrection, is our end now, that we will be resurrected and dwell with him and rule with him forever. If you have questions about that, please reach out in the comments. You can go to our church website. Uh, and send me an email. I would love uh, to talk with you about what that means to begin to follow Jesus in that way. So this passage calls us to shape our lives by God's deliverance. I want you to imagine with me what that begins to look like when we begin to live that out. When the song that we sing doesn't call us to ignore problems, but it also doesn't leave us hopeless. What kind of difference does that make in despair and depression as we begin to speak to ourselves saying this stuff is real, but God is a deliverer and I'm going to keep repeating to myself, God is a deliverer. Imagine what kind of a difference that makes when we put the present and the future in God's hands, trusting that he knows better and that his hands are faithful and that they are capable. That This is a song that I feel like lifts some of the burden in trouble. It lifts some of the burden in trouble as we begin to lift our eyes and shape our lives by God's deliverance. That sounds like freedom. That sounds like good news for captives. That sounds like healing for those that are hurting. To be shaped by God's deliverance. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your good word. We thank you that you want to shape us by your deliverance, that you have a present and a future out there for us. Help us, Lord, be shaped by that deliverance. In Jesus' name, amen.